0: Storm Over Warlock by Andre Norton Chapter 15 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R.J. Davis Storm Over Warlock by Andre Norton Chapter 15 Dragonslayer Aye! Sheer defiance, not only of the beast he fronted, but of the wyverns as well, brought that old rallying cry to his lips. The call used on the dumps of tire to summon gang aid against outsiders. Forktail now crouched again for a spring, but that throat-cracking blast appeared to startle him. Shan, blade-ready, took a dancing step to the right. The thing was scaled, perhaps as well-armored against frontal attack as was the shell-creature he had fought with the aid of the wolverines. He wished he had the Terran animals now, with Taggy and his mate to tease and faint about the monster, as they had done with a throng hound, for he would have a better chance, if only the animals were here. Those eyes, red-pitted eyes in a gargoyle head following his every movement. Perhaps those were the only vulnerable ports. Muscles tensed beneath that scaled hide. The Terran readied himself for a sideways leap, his knife hand raised to rake at those eyes. A brown shape with a V of lighter fur banding its back crossed the far range of Shan's vision. He could not believe what he saw, not even when a snarling animal slavering with rage, came at a lumbering gallop to stand beside him, a second animal on his heels. Uttering his own battle cry, Taggy attached. The fork-tailed head swung, imitating the movements of the wolverines as it had earlier mimicked the swaying of the disc in the wyvern's hand. Togi came in from the other side. They might have been hounds keeping a bull in play and never had they shown such perfect teamwork, almost as if they could sense what Shan desired of them. The forked tail lashed viciously, a formidable weapon. Bone, muscles, scaled flesh, half buried in the sand, swept up a cloud of grit into the face of the man and the animals. Shan fell back, pawing with his free hand at his eyes. The wolverines circled wearily, trying for the attack they favored the spring to the shoulder, the usually fatal assault on the spine behind the neck. But the armored head of the fork tail swung low, warned them off. Again the tail lashed, and this time Taggy was caught and hurled across the beach. Togi ordered a challenge, made a reckless dash, and raked down the length of the fork tail's body, fastening on that tail, weighing it to earth with her poundage while the sea creature fought to dislodge her. Shan, his eyes watering from the sand but able to see, watched that battle for a long second, judging that Forktail was completely engaged in trying to free his best weapon from the grip of the wolverine. The latter clawed and bit with a fury, which suggested Tuggy intended to immobilize that weapon by carrying it to shreds forked tail-wrenched his body, striving to reach its tormentor with fangs or clawed feet. And in that struggle to achieve an impossible position, his head slewed far about, uncovering the unprotected area behind the skull base, which usually lay under the spiny collar about its shoulders. Shan went in. With one hand, he gripped the edge of that collar, his serrations tearing his flesh and at the same time he drove his knife blade deep into the soft underfolds, ripping on towards the spinal column. The blade nicked against bone as the forked tail's head slammed back, catching Shan's hand and knife together in a trap. The Terran was jerked from his feet, flung to one side with the force of the beast's reaction. Blood spurted up, his own blood mingled with that of the monster. Only Togi's riding of the tail prevented Shan's being beaten to death. The armored snout pointed skyward as the creature ground the sharp edge of his collar down on Terran's arm. Shan frantic with pain, drove his free fist into one of those eyes. Forktail tail jerked convulsively, his head snapped down again, and Shan was free. The Terran drew himself back, keeping his feet with an effort forked tail was writhing, churning up the sand in a cloud, but it could not rid himself of the knife Shan had planted with all his strength, and which the blows of his own armored collar were now driving deeper and deeper into its back. It howled thinly, with an abnormal shrilling. Shan, nursing his bleeding forearm against its chest, rolled free from the waves of sand it threw about. Bringing up against one of the rock pillars. With that to steady him, he somehow found his feet and stood weaving, trying to see through the rain of dust. The convulsions which churned up that concealing cloud were growing more feeble. Then Shan heard the triumphant squall from Togi, saw her brown body still on the torn tail just above the forking. The wolverine used her claws to hitch her way up the spine of the sea monster, heading for the mountain of blood spouting from behind the head. Forktail fought to raise that head once more. Then the massive jaw thudded into the sand, teeth snapping fruitlessly as a flood of grit overrode the tongue, packed into the gaping mouth. How long had it taken? That frenzy of battle on the bloodstained beach? Shan could have set no limit in clock rule time. He pressed his wounded arm tighter to him, lurched past the still twitching sea thing to that splash of brown fur on the sand, shaking the wolverine's whistle with dry lips. Toggy was still busy with the kill, but Taggy lay where that murderer's tail had thrown him. Shan fell on his knees as the beach round him developed a curious tendency to sway. He put his good hand to the ruffled back fur of the motionless wolverine. Taggy, A slight quiver answered. Shan tried awkwardly to raise the animal's head with his own hand. As far as he could see, there were no open wounds, but there might be broken bones, internal injuries he did not have the skill to heal. Taggy, he called again, driving to bring that heavy head up on his knee, the third one is not dead for a moment shan was not aware that those words had formed in his mind had not been heard by his ears he looked up eyes blazing at the wyvern coming toward him in a grateful glide across the crimson sand and in a space of heartbeats his thrust of anger cooled into a stubborn enmity no thanks to you he said deliberately aloud if the wyvern witch wanted to understand him, let her make the effort. He did not try to touch her thoughts with his. Taggy stirred again, and Shan glanced down quickly. The Wolverine gasped, opened his eyes, shook his miniature bare head, scattering pellets of sand. He sniffed at a dollop of blood, the dark alien blood splattered on Shan's breeches, and then his head came up with a reassuring alertness, as he looked to where his mate was still worrying the now quiet forked tail. With an effort, Taggy got to his feet. Shan aided him. The man ran his hand down over ribs, seeking any broken bones. Taggy growled a warning once when that examination brought pain in its wake, But Shan could detect no real damage. As might a cat, the wolverine must have met the shock of that whip stroke relaxed enough to escape serious injury. Taggy had been knocked out, but now he was able to navigate again. He pulled free from Shan's grip, lumbering across the sand to the kill. Someone else was crossing that strip of beach, passing the wyvern as if he did not see them. Thorval came directly to Shan. A few seconds later, he had the torn arm stretched across his own bent knee, examining the still-bleeding hurt. That's a nasty one, he commented. Shan heard the words and they made sense, but the instability of his surroundings was increasing, while four-balls handling sent sharp stabs of pain up his arm and somehow into his head, where they ended in red bursts to cloud his sight. Out of the reddish mist, which had fogged most of the landscape there, emerged a single object, a round white disc. And in Shan's clouded mind, a well-rooted apprehension stirred. He struck out with his one hand, and through luck, connected. The disc flew out of sight. His vision cleared enough so he could sight the wyvern, who had been leaning over Thorvald's shoulder, centering their world weapon on him. Making a great effort, Shan got out the words, words which he also shaped in his mind as he said them aloud, You're not taking me over again. There was no emotion to be read in that jewelled banded face or in her unblinking eyes. He caught up four balls, determined to get across his warning. Don't let them use those discs on us. I'll do my best. Only the haze had taken Thorvald again. Did one of the Wyverns have a disc focused on them? Were they being pulled into one of those blank periods to awaken as prisoners once more? Say in the cavern of the Vale? The Terran fought with every ounce of willpower to escape unconsciousness, but he failed. This time he did not awaken half-drowning in an underground stream or facing a green mist, and there was an ache in his arm which was somehow reassuring with the very insistence of pain. Before opening his eyes, his fingers crossed the smooth slick of a bandage there, went on to investigate by touch a sleep mat such as he had found in the cavern structure. Was he back in that web of rooms and corridors? Shan delayed opening his eyes until a kind of shame drove him to it. He first saw an oval opening almost the length of his body as it was stretched only a foot or two below the sill of that window, and through his transparent surface came the golden light of the sun, no green mist, no crystals mocking the stars. The room in which he lay was small, with smooth walls much like that in which he had been imprisoned on the island. And there were no other furnishings save the mat on which he rested. Over him was a light cover netted of fibers resembling yarn, with feathers nodding into it to provide a downy upper surface. His clothing was gone, but the single covering was too warm, and he pushed it away from his shoulders and chest as he wheeled up to see the view beyond the window. His torn arm came into full view. From wrist to elbow, it was encased in an opaque skin sheet, unlike any bandage of his own world. Surely that had not come out of any survey aid pack. Shan gazed towards the window, but beyond lay only a reach of sky. Except for a lemon cloud or two, ruffled high above the horizon, nothing broke that soft amber curtain he might be quartered in a tower well above ground level, which did not match his former experience with wyvern accommodations. Back with us again? Thorvald, one hand lifting a door panel, came in. His ragged uniform was gone, and he wore only breeches of a slick green material and his own scuffed and battered boots. Shan settled back on the map. Where are we? I think you might turn this to capital city, Thorvald answered. In relation to the mainland, we're on an island well out to sea, westward. How did we get here? That climbed in a slab, the stream underground, had it been an interior river running under the bed of the sea? But Shan was not prepared for the other's reply. By whooshing. By what? Thorvald nodded his expression serious. They wished us here. Listen, Lanty. when you jumped down to mix it with that fork-tailed thing, did you wish you had the wolverines with you? Jan thought back. His memories of what had occurred before that battle were none too clear. But yes, he had wished Taggy and Toggy present at that moment to distract the enraged beast. You mean I wooshed them? The whole idea was probably a part of Wyvern's jargon of dreaming, and he added, Or did I just dream everything? There was a bandage on his arm, the soreness under that bandage, but also there had been Logali's lash brand back in the cavern, which had bitten into his flesh with the pain of a real blow. No, you weren't dreaming. You happened to be tuned in one of those handy little gadgets our lady friends here use and so tuned in, your desire for the wolverines being pretty powerful just then, they came. Shan grimaced. This was unbelievable. Yet, there were his meetings with Smogalley and Traff. How could anyone rationally explain them? And how had he, in the beginning, been jumped from the top of the cliff on the island of his marooning into the midst of an underground flood, "'without any conscious memory of an intermediate journey. "'How does it work?' he asked simply. "'Thorball laughed. "'You tell me. "'They have these disks, one to a wyvern, "'and they control forces with them. "'Back there on the beach, "'we interrupted a class in such control. "'They were the novices learning their traits. "'We stumbled on something here "'which can't be defined or understood.' By any of our previous standards of comparison, it's frankly magic, judged by our terms. Are we prisoners? Shan wanted to know. Ask me something I'm sure of. I've been free to come and go within limits. No one's exhibited any signs of hostility. Most of them simply ignore me. I've had two interviews by this mind-reading act of theirs with their rulers or elders. For chief sorceresses, all three titles seem to apply. They ask questions, I answer as best I can, but sometimes we appear to have no common meeting ground. Then I ask some questions, they evade gracefully, or reply in a kind of unintelligible double talk, and that's as far as our communication has progressed so far. Taggy and Toggy have a run of their own, and as far as I can tell, are better satisfied with life than I am. Oddly enough, they respond more quickly and more intelligently to orders. Perhaps this business of being shuttered around by the disk has conditioned them in some way. What about these wyverns? Are they all female? No, but their tribal system is strictly a matriarchal, which follows a pattern even Terra wants them the fertile earth mother and her priestesses, who became the witches when the gods overruled the goddesses. The males are few in number and lack the power to activate the disk. In fact, Thorvald laughed ruefully, one gathers that in this civilization our opposite numbers have, more or less, the status of pets at the best and necessary evils at the worst, which put us at a disadvantage from the start. You think that they won't take us seriously because we are male? Might just work out that way. I've tried to get through to them about the danger from the throngs, telling them what it would mean to them to have the beetleheads settle in here for good. They just brush aside the whole idea. Can you argue that the thongs are male too, or aren't they? The survey officer shook his head. That's a point no human can answer. We've been sparring with frogs for years, and there have been libraries of reports written about them and their behavior patterns, all of which add up to about two paragraphs of proven facts and hundreds of surmises, beginning with the probable and skimming out into the wild fantastic. You can claim anything about a frog and find a lot of very intelligent souls ready to believe you but whether those beetleheads squatting over on the mainland are able to answer to he, she, or it, your solution is just as good as mine. We've always considered the ones we fight to be males, but they might just as possibly be Amazons. Frankly, these wyverns couldn't care less either. At least that's the impression they give. But anyway, Shan observed, it hasn't come to we're all girls together, either. Thorvald laughed again. Not so you can notice. We're not the only unwilling visitor in the vicinity. Shan set up. A throb, A something. non warlockian or non-Wyvan. And perhaps trouble for us. You haven't seen this other? Thorvald sat down cross-legged. The amber light from the window made red gold of his hair. Added readiness to his less gaunt features. No, I haven't. As far as I can tell, the stranger's not right here. I caught stray thought beams twice. Surprise expressed by newly arrived wyverns who met me and apparently expected to be fronted by something quite physically different. Another Terran scalp? No. I imagine that to the wyverns we must look a lot alike just as we couldn't tell one of them from her sister if their body patterns didn't differ. Discovered one thing about those patterns, the more intricate they run, the higher the power, not of the immediate wearer, but of her ancestors. They're marked when they qualify for their disc and presented with the rating of the greatest witch in their family line as an inducement to live up to those deeds and surpass them if possible. Quite a bit of logic to that. Given the right conditioning, such a system might even work in our service. That nugget of information was the stuff from which survey reports were made, but at the moment the information concerning the other captive was of more value to Shan. He studied his body against the wall with his good hand and got to his feet. Thorval watched him. I take it you have visions of action. Tell me, Lantee, why did you take that header off the cliff to mix it with forktail? Shan wondered himself. He had no reason for that impulsive act. I don't know. Shiverly? Fair wyvern in distress, the other prodded? Or did the backlash from one of those disks draw you in? I don't know. And why did you use your knife instead of your stunner? Shan was startled. For the first time, he realized that he had fronted the greatest native menace they had discovered on Warlock with the more primitive of his weapons. Why had he not tried to stunner on the beast? He had just never thought of it when he had taken that leap into the role of dragon slayer. Not that it would have done you any good to try the ray. It has no effect on tail. You tried it? Naturally. But you didn't know that. Or did you pick up that information earlier? No, answered Shan slowly. No, I don't know why I used the knife. The stunner would have been more natural. Suddenly he shivered, and the face he turned to Thorvald was very sober. How much do they control us? he asked, his voice dropping to a half whisper, as if the walls about them could pick up those words and relay them to other ears. What can they do? A good question, Thorvald lost his light tone. Yes, what can they feed into our minds without our knowing? Perhaps those disks are only window dressing, and they can work without them. A great deal will depend upon the impression we can make on these witches. He began to smile again, more wily. The name we gave this planet is certainly a misnomer. A warlock is a male sorcerer, not a witch but what are the chances of our becoming warlocks ourselves? Again Thorvald's smile faded, but he gave a curt little nod to Sean as if approving that thought. That is something we are going to look into, and now. If we have to convince some stubborn females as well as fight drugs, well, he shrugged, we'll have a busy, busy time. This concludes the reading of chapter 15.